thank you so much for, uh, for being here tonight. Where, where were you guys last night? You guys were in child care? Okay, I, I miss you. I went to go talk to the, the kids and everybody was gone. I thought the rapture took place and took all the wrong people. <laughs> uh, okay, lighten up for crying out loud. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get into the message here in just a, a second. But uh, I do want to once again express my thanks to Pastor Jeff and all of the pastors for the invitation to be able to come back. Uh, for real, you, you have no idea how, uh, how God uses this in, in my life. It is unbelievably therapeutic. And uh, so I appreciate the, the opportunity to do this. And uh, for all of you folks that have been so faithful every night, uh, yeah, man, I, I kind of thought, yeah, nobody will be here tonight. And uh, wow, it, it is just such a blessing to see all of y'all here and desiring to grow and, and to learn. And uh, can't even tell you what that, uh, what that means to me. So many of you are, uh, we've got a history. And the cool part is there's so many people in this room and you and I have no history. I love that. It means you've been reaching people in, in this church. And, uh, and so it's just been an incredible week for me and for our entire family. And uh, just thank you from the bottom of our heart. But we've been talking this week about going hard. And, uh, you know, I, I, the, this is our, our little theme for the week, go hard or go home. And you know, I haven't really talked so much about the, you know, go home part. But what I had in mind on when I was saying that is, you know, the reality is, if, if we're not going to totally go for it, y'all, he really ought to just go ahead and take us. And, just, and I don't want to be crass or cold-hearted or anything like that, but if we're not going hard, we're going to get in the way. We're going to look a whole lot like the world, and that's what kills Christianity, man, is that the world looks at people who profess to know Christ and can't see any difference, and I think that just absolutely whacks the whole plan of God out. So we've been, we've been talking about going hard, and you know, it, I, I got to tell you, it's kind of crazy to me. Rarely do I talk to anyone who knows Christ who who doesn't wholeheartedly believe that our time on this planet is short. You believe that? I, I, I do. Uh, in fact, I'm amazed we're still here, y'all. If you go back and listen to me 20 years ago, man, yeah, I, I stand in awe. I just know this, we're a whole lot closer now, and the time is a whole lot shorter now. But the thing that I think amazes me is the later the hour gets and the shorter the amount of time that we actually have, rather than that motivating us to stop pacing ourselves and, and causing us to pull out all the stops and absolutely going for broke, it, it seems like the later it gets, the more people lose the urgency of this thing. 
It's, it's really, it's mind-boggling to me. It seems as if we have become more focused on exercising our liberty than exercising ourselves unto godliness, knowing that real soon we're going to stand and look him eyeball to eyeball. And, and with the, all of that, you, you would think, with everything that we believe, that it would cause us to absolutely go crazy with this thing that we call the mission. You know, one of the things that uh, amazes me is in Revelation chapter 12, and you don't need to turn that. The thing I love about this church is every time you mention a reference. Okay, you can go check me out on it later. I, I just don't want you to get there, and by the time it's all said and done, we're on to something else. But in Revelation chapter 12, and most of you are familiar with it, it reveals a time in the middle of the tribulation period when the Bible says that Satan will be cast down to the earth, and when that happens, you know what it says? That he will recognize that his time is short. And, and let me tell you what Satan does when he recognizes that his time is short. You know what he does, y'all? He pulls out all the stops. And he does not pace himself. And what the passage tells us is he seeks to carry out his mission like there's no tomorrow. And what it says he's going to do is anything and everything he can to persecute Israel and her Messiah. And Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12 says that he will be motivated and incensed with a great wrath. Listen, he's always had wrath toward Israel. And toward Christ. But listen, when, the when he knows his days are numbered and he knows he's got just this little window of time, he is absolutely incensed and he expresses great wrath. And I, 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 I'm just wondering why it is that with us recognizing that the time is short, it hasn't caused those of us that love the Lord Jesus Christ to be incensed with him and have a great love for him. In contrast to his great wrath, why hasn't that motivated us and incensed us to go for our mission like there's no tomorrow? To pull out all the stops and to go for broke. And I want to tell you tonight... What I believe is the missing link, if you will. I've entitled tonight's message, The Missing Virtue in 21st Century Christianity. And in just a second, I'm going to have you turn with me to what I believe is, is a pretty crazy passage. Work with me for just a second. Let's, let's say that you know, I, I came back and on Sunday I said, guys, you're not going to believe this, but I found a half a page of Bible that nobody has ever seen. And this half page Bible, okay, now I get it. Some of you are going to, oh, well, that would never happen because we have the complete word of God. This is an illustration. I'm, this is for fun, okay? So <laughs> ease up, Okay. We got, we got everything that we need. It's all there. But just suppose with me that I said, hey, I found a half a page of Bible. And, oh, guys, this half a page of Bible is like the missing link. 
Because what this half a page of Bible does is it takes us from the time that we have come to faith in Christ. And what it does is it reveals to us God's divine strategy for our spiritual growth that takes us from the point of faith all the way through to the time we make our entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow! Wouldn't that be a great half-page of Bible to find? Okay, I, I, somehow, y'all, and I feel, like I, I feel like I owe you an apology, those of you that have been here forever, that we didn't talk about this 25 years ago. This half-page of Bible that I've discovered that's been sitting in our Bible all along, that is God's strategy for our growth and development from the time that we're saved until the time we walk out of the throne room at the judgment seat of Christ and make our entrance into his everlasting kingdom. And this passage, this half page of Bible that I found, is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. I'd like to ask you to turn there with me, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 1. And obviously, you, you know me, we're not going to cover all 15 verses tonight. Uh, but I do want to just kind of begin talking about this. And the thing that is crazy about this, this passage is what he does is, in this divine strategy that God gives to us to teach us about our spiritual growth and development, what he does is he tells us that there's seven things that need to get added to our faith. And of course, because God is perfect and his plan is complete, he uses the number seven to, to do that. And in this passage, the thing that is just unbelievable to me is when you see the incentives and you see the motivation that God gives to us if we'll be obedient to follow his strategy. Again, it gets pretty crazy because God tells us through Peter that if we do these seven things, here's the first guarantee. Listen to this. We will truly know Christ. Wow, y'all. He says in verse 8, for if these things be in you, these things are the seven things that need to be added to our faith. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful, listen, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I forget if it was last night or the night before. We looked in John chapter 17 and verse 3 when Jesus is praying to the Father. And what he tells us is that what salvation is all about, what eternal life actually is from Jesus' own lips, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the one true God and your Son, whom you have sent. And, and what this passage tells us is if you'll get these seven things into your life, it is a guarantee that you will know Christ. Secondly, the passage gives us the guarantee that if we do these seven things, number two, we will never fall. Are you hearing that, y'all? Do you know how many people have fallen off the log of this thing, man. I mean, man, 
It, it's crazy. And you talk about something that ought to motivate us. Because I, I do know this. The Bible reveals to us that the most perfect man who ever lived, other than, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the most perfect man who ever lived, who came into this life with absolutely no baggage, Adam, fell. The, the man with the greatest passion for God, David, fell. The strongest man who ever lived on this planet, Samson fell. The wisest man who ever lived on this planet, Solomon, fell. And, and hey, I get it. I'm nothing compared to the likes of those dudes. And so when I come onto a passage and God says, if, if you'll do this, you'll know Christ and you'll never fall. Okay, give me some of that. I want all of that that I can possibly get. And, and then next, he, he tells us that if we'll add these seven things to our faith, number three, we will enter into the fullness of kingdom living. And, and I, I believe what he's telling us in verse 11, he says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen. He's talking about that time when we walk out of the judgment seat of Christ. Wow. I mean, that's going to be wild, isn't it? Our reward will be set, and we walk out into his everlasting kingdom. And he says, listen, if you'll add these seven things, when you make that entrance, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be incredible. And you know why it would be so incredible? Because you lived out his kingdom while you lived on the earth. That, that's how the thing is, is set. And he says, listen, if you really want to really tap into what kingdom living is all about, and if you really want to make an entrance into the kingdom to where it, you are experiencing the fullness of everything that God intended for you in eternity, he, he says, add these seven things to your faith. Wow, y'all, no Christ, never fall, an abundant Christian living, kingdom living now, and an abundant entrance into his kingdom in the future. Wow, that, that's pretty motivating. But he also tells us in this passage what happens to us if we don't add these seven things. First of all, he tells us that we will become spiritually blind. Anybody know any characteristics of Laodiceans? What he says is, but in verse 9, but he that lacketh these things, these things being the seven that we've been commanded to add to our faith, he that lacketh these things is blind. And then secondly, we will be unable to see into the eternal realm. He says, and, and cannot see afar off. Second, Timothy, or Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 talks about being able to, to look and to see into the eternal realm. And people who have not added these seven things to their faith come to the point to where they cannot see what is right in front of them, and they can't see into that eternal realm. And then the third thing he tells us, that if we don't add these things to our faith, number three, we will revert to living like we did in our lost condition. Wow. 
What it says in verse 9, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You know what? This, this passage has just, really, it's revolutionized my life because I feel like it explains so much of why it is that so many people fall. It's because we're not following the divine strategy. And, and because these things are so significant, would you look at what Peter says beginning in verse 12, 13, 14, 15? Listen, you know what Peter's response to this passage is? What Peter says is, listen, I'm never going to stop talking about these seven things. I'm going to always put you in remembrance of these things. And he says, and it doesn't matter to me that you know them. He says, it doesn't even matter to me that you are established in them. He says, as long as I'm living in this body and I have breath in my nostrils, I'm going to do everything I can to stir you up about these seven things because he says, the Lord's shown me that my time is short, so I want to make sure that long after I'm dead and gone, these things are right there at your fingertips. Wow. Peter was pretty taken with what the Holy Spirit of God had inspired him to write. And I want you to look back with me at verse 5. And I want you to notice what he says. He says, and beside this, beside what? Okay, if we had already covered the first four verses, you'd get it. Besides coming to faith, he says, giving, listen to this now, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Giving all diligence. Listen, y'all, that is quite a a statement. In in other words, here's something worthy of giving your absolute all to. Here's something that is totally worth you throwing your life at. And, And do you realize that for us to be obedient to that command, it would automatically and necessarily mean saying no to a bunch of other things that we tend to be giving at least some diligence to, if not a lot, but realistically. I I mean, look look at verse 5. How many things in my life can I actually give all diligence to? And and so what does that mean? Do we all quit our jobs and stop having a hobby and... Stop pursuing our our career? Obviously not, but I I think it must mean that the other things in our life certainly need to be weighed and analyzed against this passage and see if they somehow fit into our pursuit of these seven things. Listen, I don't know any other way to take giving all diligence. Because what verse 5 is actually saying to us in a very practical way when he tells us to give all diligence to these things, what he's telling us here is that no one ever gets these seven things by accident. Nobody ever gets these things by random coincidence. Nobody ever gets these things by just cruising through life, taking it as it comes. No one ever gets these things by simply showing up on Sunday morning and very dutifully and respectfully taking notes on the pastor's message no one ever gets them by giving all diligence to something else 
what God is telling us in verse 5 through Peter is that actually getting these seven things embedded and woven into the fabric of who we are requires passion. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about going hard. It requires purpose. It requires pursuit and perseverance and perspective. It requires activity. It requires tenacity. It requires intentionality and consistency. It requires thought. It requires prayer. It requires study and meditation and concentration and fasting. It requires a plan. It requires adjustment and readjustment and readjustments. Hey, y'all. I, you know, it's, it, I think it's unfair to say, okay, this passage is more important than that passage. I, I, all I know is the passage says, here are seven things that you give all diligence to. Make this your pursuit. And I want you to notice the first thing that God instructs us to add to our faith in verse 5. The first thing that he tells us to add to our faith is virtue. Now, I, I told you that the title of the message tonight is The Missing Virtue in 21st Century Christianity. And you know what the missing virtue in 21st Century Christianity is? Virtue. It's deep, isn't it? Now, I, I want to begin by just having a general discussion with you about this thing of adding virtue to our faith okay so when we're talking about virtue what are we talking about what really it's it's just allowing my life to be conformed to the principles and commands of scripture we could say it this way it's very simply just doing what we know which makes this thing of adding virtue and it's the only one we're going to talk about tonight okay and and for a very specific reason but listen if if this thing of Virtue is just doing what we know, then good night, man. This has got to be one of the easiest of the seven. He tells us in verse 5 that this is the first thing that needs to be added after coming to faith. Okay, now this is where I want to just talk to this church. Because for the last 25 years of my life... I have been banging the discipleship drum. And those of you that have been around forever, you know that, man. We, we wore that out, and praise God, your pastor is wearing that out as well. And we've talked for years about the fact that it begins with evangelism, and it continues in edification. And i got to tell you, man, getting people grounded in the Word of God, getting them entrenched, in their knowledge of the Word of God, so that a new believer can actually get connected with somebody else in a relationship so that they can begin to consume massive doses of the Word of God. I'm telling you, man, I've been all about that. And I feel like God has been saying to me, hey, that's, that's really nice. And I appreciate that, but... But I've got a better idea. How about, how about we do it my way? How about we 
How about we put knowledge on hold for just a minute and we focus on adding virtue? And if that be the case, and that, that is the case, because he says, add to your faith virtue, and once you get the virtue, add knowledge. Okay. Okay, so if we're to add virtue, what might that look like? Well, if virtue is actually doing what we know, we might need to ask ourselves, okay, what did we know five minutes after we called upon the name of the Lord, Right? Well, we all knew what was necessary for us to be saved, right? And what was that? Basically, we needed to know who Jesus is, that he's God, and that he's the Lord. I don't believe anybody can be saved without knowing that. We needed to know not only who Jesus is, we needed to know who we were. That we were a sinner, and we needed to own that. And we needed to know what Jesus did, that Jesus died and he was buried, and he rose again. We had to know those things. So if that's what we knew, how do you act on that? Right? I mean, what, what would it have actually looked like for us five minutes after we were saved to do what we knew? Well, the, the cool thing is, it, it, and I love this about salvation. When, when the Spirit of God takes up residence inside of us at salvation... You know, it's like he gives to us a, a massive dose of spiritual common sense. You know what I'm talking about? He moves in and immediately refurbishes our conscience. And our conscience gets revitalized and reignited. And so based on what we knew at salvation, he immediately causes us to know that there's some things that we should stop doing that we've been doing. We should stop our drugging, we should stop our drinking, stop our clubbing, stop our fornicating, stop our cussing. Listen, you know what? You don't have to have a bunch of Bible knowledge to know that, right? He immediately causes us to know not only that there are some things we should stop doing, but there's some things that we should start doing. Sunday rolls around, and somehow we know that we should start going to church. And somehow we know that we should start reading the Bible and we should start talking to God. Again, you don't need a bunch of Bible knowledge to, to know that. But now listen, Th this whole thing of doing what we know immediately after coming to faith is more important than I think we had the capacity to realize at that time. And the sad reality is that the way that it shakes out, y'all, is that somewhere, usually pretty early on, something begins to happen between what we know and what we do. Between what we believe and how we behave. And what begins to happen is there begins to be a disparity between the two. There begins to be a discrepancy. There begins to be this weird dissonance. There begins to be a distance between what we know and what we do. And listen, as soon as there is, and it's allowed to continue, 
You know what happens? It tends to breed more and more distance because we come to church and we're gaining more and more knowledge and with more knowledge is coming more, di- more distance and what ends up happening to good people like you and me is we end up with a bunch of Bible knowledge and yet can end up spiritually just like Peter is saying here. And we're blind and coming to the place with everything that we know. Start living like lost people live. Now, now, as we talk about this tonight, and again, I'm serious when I say to you, I feel like I owe you an apology for cramming the knowledge thing so hard and us never actually talking about this thing of virtue. You know what I'd love to ask you to do as we talk about this tonight? I don't know if this is fair or not. But you know what I'd love for all of us to do? I'd love for all of us to assume that it just might be that God wants us to go back and grab the virtue piece tonight. Maybe even before we begin to let the Spirit of God wear us out, maybe just going, okay, God, I want to make sure that I've got that virtue piece in light of what you promised about this passage, about what will happen if I'll do this and what will happen if I don't. Oh, God, would you help me to be able to make sure that I've got this, this piece. Okay, is that, can we do that? Yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, man, I've been doing this for a long time, and yeah, that and a dollar will buy you a cup of coffee, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, in the last year, I, I've, I've just come before God and said, God, I don't care what I know. I just want to make sure I got that virtue piece because, listen, all the other six things, they don't get added to faith. They get added to each other, if you look at the passage. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And yeah, I can, I can quote all the others too. Okay, cool. But listen, on one hand, like I said, adding virtue is one of the easiest of the seven things to add. And yet on the other hand, it's also one of the most difficult. Let me just take a second to talk about what makes it so difficult. Three things that make adding virtue to my faith so difficult. Number one, my own flesh, right? Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, listen, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, the things you want to do, wow, sometimes it is really hard to do that. And you know why? It's because we still live in a body of flesh, and this body of flesh has not yet received its redemption. And it fights tenaciously, as this verse says, with the Spirit of God. And it's like my soul and my spirit are wanting to soar to the Spirit, but my body is trying like crazy to pull, pull me back down into the things of the flesh. And quite honestly... That's one of the reasons that adding virtue to our faith is so difficult. A second thing 
is the example of quote-unquote mature believers. Hello? Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, talks about those of us who are strong and the relationship that we ought to have with those who are weak. And and listen, y'all, again, I, I don't want to sound like a crotchety old man. But when you really try to find someone who is a living example of a life where there's no disparity, no discrepancy, no dissonance, and no distance between what they know and what they do and how they, what they believe and how they behave. Wow, where are you going to find that? It's not the easiest thing to do. And so new, new believers watch old believers and say, so I, I guess some of this stuff we don't really have to do. I guess some of this stuff we really don't have to obey. Number three, by not fully com- comprehending that salvation wasn't simply adding Jesus onto my life. And I've talked about this, I think, in every message this week because I feel like that's 21st century Christianity. Instead of Understanding that Jesus is our life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, For you're dead, your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you appear with him in glory. And the, the reality is, when it comes to this thing of virtue, if I view my salvation as I've just added Jesus onto my life, then the reality is, I'm still calling the shots. And so, since I'm calling the shots, I may do this, or I, I may not do that, or I, I may do it when I feel like it, or whenever I get around to it. But it's a whole different story, y'all, when you realize what salvation actually is. And that in coming to Christ, I no longer have a life. This is his life, and he wants to live it through me. Okay, so those are the the things that make adding virtue to our faith such a difficult thing. Now let me share with you, from a biblical standpoint, why I said that I think adding virtue is one of the easiest. And I say that because from a biblical and practical standpoint, virtue is two key things. Number one, it is an attitude. It is an attitude of my mind and heart. And so the beautiful thing about this is it doesn't require a bunch of intelligence. It doesn't take a lot of technical research or rigorous study. Again, it's an attitude, which means that it comes down to a calculated choice, a choice that any and every child of God can make. And it is specifically... An attitude of unequaled reverence for Christ and his word. I ask you, is that your attitude of unequaled reverence? There's nothing that would rival your reverence for the word of God and for Christ. And and the truth is, if if, if you truly have reverence for Christ, it's going to be evidenced by your attitude and your approach to his word, because of course, and we all know this, you cannot separate Christ from his word. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
So let me take you on a little, a quick little journey to see how the attitude of virtue expresses itself biblically, and maybe this can help us to see whether or not we need to go grab that virtue piece. Number one, virtue is an attitude and an approach to the Word of God that reflects John chapter 2 and verse 5. Listen, y'all, some of the best biblical advice and spiritual counsel you'll ever get in your life comes from none other than Jesus' mama. In John chapter 2 and verse 5, his mother saith unto the servants, I, I love this, man, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And again, we, we did those Asian words the other night, you know. We, uh, we're talking about do it without hesitation. Do it without the deliberation. Do it without all of the consideration. Just do it. You know what, if Jesus' mama was still alive, she could sue Nike for stealing the slogan, man. Just do it. So what is our takeaway about virtue from John 2, 5? It is the premeditated and predetermined resolve that I will do whatsoever. And what that means is anything and everything the Lord tells me to do. And I ask you tonight, is that your attitude toward Christ and his word? Number two. Virtue is an attitude and an approach to the Word of God that reflects Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. In other words, Lord, whatever I see in your Word, I immediately put it into my life. And this is a classic case of you are what you eat, man. Listen. Do, do you see Jeremiah's attitude? What, what he says in this verse is, this book rejoices my heart. It's the very joy of my heart, and because it is, it makes me want to find out what God said so I can immediately get it into my life. This is the way that I put it as the takeaway concerning virtue in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. It's holding the Word of God in such reverence that it has become the very joy and rejoicing of my heart and causes me to consume every word so that every word consumes me. And again, I ask you, is that your attitude toward Christ and his word? If so, y'all, awesome! And if not, Change your attitude. Right? Isn't that what you tell your kids? And, and, and look at me. You better change your attitude. Okay? If that's not your approach to the Word of God tonight, just change your attitude. Because virtue is that, man. It's an attitude. Number three, virtue is an attitude and an approach to the Word of God that reflects 1 Samuel 3.19. I love this one, man. Watch young Samuel's attitude toward this book. 
1 Samuel 3.19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And did let none of his words fall to the ground. Listen, that's how precious and priceless Samuel viewed every single word of God. He wouldn't let one word fall to the ground. Man, I love that. So what do we glean about virtue from 1 Samuel 3.19? It's letting none of God's words fall to the ground. It's an attitude where there's nothing that we think is unimportant or insignificant or superfluous could be put on a back burner for another day and another time. No, it's, it's the attitude of Proverbs 3, 5. Every word of God is pure. Listen. In an attitude about it that you can't bear the thought of one word of this book being tainted by falling to the ground. That's the attitude that causes virtue to be added to our faith. Number four, virtue is an attitude and approach to the word of God that reflects Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Notice, Notice the first word, let. Let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Don't resist it. Don't question it. Don't overanalyze it. Just let it do its thing in you. And once it's in there, listen, let it, let it dwell in you in all wisdom. In 1 Kings 8, it defines the word dwell as, very simply, listen, a settled place. Just let it become a part of the fabric of of who you are. So so what is the attitude of of virtue? It's letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly in all wisdom. Number five, virtue is an attitude and approach to the Word of God that reflects John 15, 7. Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. And that's the attitude of someone who possesses virtue. It's expressed in my life by abiding in Christ and allowing His words to abide in me. And the idea of abide is, is very closely akin to the word we just looked at in Colossians 3.16, that word dwell. It carries with it the idea of, of submission. Listen, it's, it's me getting tucked in and settled in my relationship with Christ, and it's the word of God getting tucked in and settled in me. And that becoming my entire attitude Toward life. Me settled in Christ and His Word settled in me. 
Number six, virtue is an attitude and an approach to the Word of God that reflects Job 23, 12. And I'll listen to, listen to Job's attitude and his approach to the Word of God here. Job says in Job 23, 12, Neither have I gone back from the commandments, the commandment of his lips. In other words, there, there's nothing God's ever shown me in his Word that I've ever backed away from. And, and here's why, he says. Because I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Listen, and that's how virtue expresses itself in our attitude. It is esteeming the words of his mouth, obviously the word of God, of more importance and delight than my physical food. Again, I ask you tonight, I know you know a lot of stuff. I know you got a lot of knowledge. I'm asking you tonight, is that your attitude toward the Word of God? I, I view this with, as more important and with more delight than eating. Is that how you approach the Word of God? And number seven, virtue is an attitude and an approach to the Word of God that reflects Psalm 119 and verse 48. The psalmist says, My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. You know, the cops, you know, they, they're in pursuit of the bad guy. And, and what, what do they say? Come out with your come out with your hands up. Because your hands up is how you position yourself and how you posture yourself when you're expressing what we've been singing about this week. Surrender. And, and that's what David is expressing here in Psalm 119 and verse 48. He's expressing the attitude of somebody who has added virtue to their faith. I put it this way in your notes. It's so loving, the Word of God, that I approach it having positioned myself in absolute surrender to it. So that before I've ever even opened the Bible, this is what the psalmist is saying, and before I've ever even seen what it says, the psalmist says, I, I can give to you, God, my premeditated and predetermined response. Lord, the answer to whatever this book says, before I even know what it is, is yes. Whatever you show me that I need to stop, I will stop. <laughs> Whatever you show me I need to start, I'll start. Not driven by legalism, not driven by perfection, but solely by your love for Christ and His Word. Virtue is an attitude, y'all. A lot of Christians get messed up because their attitude gets jacked up. And we keep gaining the knowledge. But we don't have the attitude that expresses itself with virtue. It's an attitude of my mind and heart. But not only that, it is a decision of my will. It is a decision of my will. And specifically, it is a decision of unqualified obedience to Christ's will and word. But it's a decision that we make. 
Number one, virtue is living in the spiritual, biblical, and practical reality of Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. You're familiar with these verses. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any <clears throat> virtue, and if there be any praise, what? Think on these things. It's an attitude. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, what? Do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Again, it's a way of thinking. It's an attitude. But, listen, it's also a decision of our will to do, look at verse 9, to do what we've learned and received and heard and seen in God's Word. And that's what adding virtue to my life actually is. It's functioning in life, having made the premeditated and predetermined decision of my will of simply doing what I know. John 13, 17. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye, what? If you do them. Not if you know them. <laughs> yeah, you got to know them. But the joy comes in doing I, James chapter 1, I, and I, I heard Pastor Jeff mention that you started off at the beginning of the year with this passage. But be ye <clears throat> doers of the word and not hearers only, and again, Jeff mentioned it last night, deceiving your own selves. And i got to tell you, man, I feel like Christianity is filled and running over right now with a lot of deceived people because they think they're spiritual because of what they know. And James says, if you're not doing what you know, if you're allowing there to be a disparity, a discrepancy, a dissonance, or a distance between what you know and what you do, you're deceived. Number two, Virtue is living in the spiritual, biblical, and practical reality of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, familiar verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world... But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And listen, y'all, that's what it looks like in real life when I've made the decision to add virtue to my faith. It's in your notes this way. It is surrendering my life to the principles and commands of the transforming power of the Word of God so that I am continuously being conformed into the image of Christ. So I'm not focusing on simply gaining information. I'm focused on and I'm passionate about transformation. Like we talked about earlier. Letting the Word of Christ come in and do its thing to conform us to the image of Christ. 
another way of saying it or, or, or looking at it is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Listen, that's what it looks like when we've added virtue to our life. It's, it's very simply living according to the very calculated decision to spend the rest of my life perfecting holiness, keeping myself cleansed from anything that would cause there to be distance between what I know and what I do. Number three, virtue is living in the spiritual, biblical, and practical reality of Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus asked a very sobering and penetrating and a very appropriate and understandable question. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If he were to say it today, he might say, and just what part of the word Lord do you not understand? Because if he is our <coughs> Lord, the decision of unqualified obedience has already been settled. <laughs> right? So when, when how we behave doesn't line up with what we say we believe who Christ is, to, to coin a phrase, y'all, we've lost our virtue. Because it is behaving, it's in your notes this way, it's behaving in accordance with my belief in Christ's lordship. I, and I gotta wonder, you know, how often the words our Lord spoke to his prophet Ezekiel about his people in Ezekiel's day, I just wonder how often he's wanted to say this to his people in our day. Ezekiel chapter 33. In verse 31, and they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they won't do them. For with their mouth they show much love, and in 21st century Christianity, when we sing, y'all, man, the stuff we say is incredible. Man, if we were only doing that. With their mouth, they show much love. Man, what a sad reality. But their heart goeth after covetousness. Again, does your life reflect that you, you've made a clear, calculated decision concerning lordship for real? The truth is, y'all, if we've, if we've added virtue to our faith, the Lord would never have to ask us, and, and now, okay, why is it again that you call me Lord, but you're living like this? Number four, virtue is living in the spiritual, biblical, and practical reality of Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27. And in, in this passage, our, our Lord was pointing to that time when his people would be living under a new covenant. 
practical application would be us. Our time, our, our day. We live according to the, the new, new covenant. And this is what he says. A, a new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I, I've, I've talked about this verse for years. A stony heart is cold. It's hard. It's unresponsive. And he says, man, what I'll do is I'll take that stony heart out of you and I'll, I'll do a heart transplant. And I'll give you a heart of flesh, a heart that's warm and pliable and responsive. And I'll put my spirit within you. And with my spirit in you, I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. Listen, because our, our new heart and our new spirit, what it did is it flipped a switch inside of us that caused us to want to obey God. And it gave to us, that new heart and the new spirit gave us the capacity and the power to obey Him. That's what salvation is. And He says, listen, once you've received that, just make sure you're living that out. That virtue is established. I put it in your notes this way. It's living my life in accordance with my new heart and new spirit I received in salvation that gives me both the desire and the power to do God's will. Listen, that's God's work in us in salvation, y'all. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you understand when we're talking about this thing of virtue? It's not us mustering up the desire and us mustering up the power. It's just living out God's work in us in salvation. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. In other words, the same one who called us to salvation is the one who will empower us to live according to our calling. Number five, virtue is living in the spiritual, biblical, and practical reality of 2 John, verse 6. 2 John, verse 6 says, and this is love. In other words, when, when we... When we love God and we love his word, this is what it looks like. We will walk after his commandments. That's what virtue is, y'all. It's living in the practical outworking of genuine love. Walking after his commandments. We're pursuing them and walking according to them. Jesus made the same connection between loving him and obedience in John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, you know this, keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments 
And man, his commandments are not grievous. We don't do it out of a sense of obligation or duty. It's not a drudge. No, we, we love God. And when his love got in us, man, you know what it did? It made us want to obey him. How awesome is this salvation thing, y'all? 1 Corinthians 8, 3, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. And in other words, it's going to be known because it's going to be shown by how you live. Because, listen, because there won't be any dissonance or distance between what we know and what we do, what we believe and how we behave. Our love will cause us to bring the virtue element. Number six, Virtue is living in the spiritual, biblical, and practical reality of Romans 6 and verse 11. And we've talked about this, those of you who've been around for years, and I'm sure on whatever the, the levels of training are in this church, that Romans 6 is a, a key place that every child of God makes make sure that you understand Romans chapter 6, one of the most important chapters in the New Testament in terms of living the Christian life. Because what happens in this chapter is in the first 10 verses, he's talking about our position in Christ. In other words, what is actually a spiritual reality now that our salvation has placed us in Christ. And what he keeps trying to make sure that we understand is that when the Father placed us in Christ, because of Christ's death, we died with him. And because of Christ's resurrection, we were risen with him so that we also live with him. And listen, for ten straight verses, he just keeps hammering the positional spiritual reality that we are dead, and yet at the same time, we're alive. And in the first 10 verses, the key word is, is no, and he keeps repeating it. That you, and what he's trying to tell us is we've got to get our head wrapped around that, that we're dead and yet we're alive. But then in verse 11, he turns a corner and he says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what he's saying here is, okay, now that you've got your head wrapped around the spiritual reality that you're dead and you're alive, he says now it's time to get your life wrapped around that spiritual reality so that you're actually living out who you are in Christ. And listen... That's what the decision to add virtue to your faith actually looks like. I put it in your notes this way. It is allowing what is a positional, spiritual reality in my life to be reconciled with what is a practical, spiritual reality in my life. In other words, there's no variance between the two. I am in practice who I am in my position. And there's no disparity, there's no discrepancy, there's no dissidence, and there's no distance between them. And now the one we've been looking for, number seven. Virtue is living in the spiritual, biblical, and practical reality of Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. Now, Paul begins in, in verse 8 of Colossians chapter 3, and you can look at it on the screen. 
And he begins here talking about all the things that used to characterize our life before we came to Christ, what he calls at the end of verse 9, the old man, or the old us, with all those deeds. And he, and he tells, up, uh, tells us here to put off that old us and all of the things that used to characterize our life. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of our mouth, lying, all that junk. And then in verse 10, he tells us to put on the new man, or the new us, that we are in Christ. And in verses 12 through 14, he gives us an idea of all the things that will characterize our lives when we've done just that. And listen, what he's actually describing in verses 8 through 14 is what it looks like when we've actually added virtue to our faith. I put it in your notes this way. It's functioning and operating in life in accordance with the new me that I am in Christ, not the old me I was before coming to Christ. Do you understand that? I'm no longer filled with anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, lying. But I, I, now my, my life is characterized by bowels of mercies and kindness and humbleness of mind meekness and long suffering and forbearance and forgiveness and above all of these charity which is the bond of perfectness listen y'all that's what virtue is in your conclusion, you know, because I know, yeah, we covered a lot of stuff, didn't we? But let's just keep it as simple as we possibly can in conclusion. First of all, virtue is an attitude that screams. I wanted to scream it, but I thought you'd get mad. Virtue is an attitude that screams a resounding yes to the word of God. Listen, y'all. You know what the awesome thing is about this thing of virtue? That it, it, it doesn't, you know, a lot of these things in, in that, that list that we need to add to our faith take a little while. Listen, this one doesn't take six years, six months, six weeks, or even six days to add. You can add virtue to your life simply by changing your attitude. And again, all of you parents and grandparents that say that to your kids... Let the Spirit of God say that to you right now, man. Hey, how long are we going to wait on adding this virtue? How much distance are we going to allow to, to come in? I, I ask you, could you say this to the Lord tonight? Lord, I say yes to your word. Whatever you tell me, you got it. Before I even know what you'll say, I can already tell you, the answer is yes. Is that your attitude? And then next, virtue is a decision that screams a resounding no to any disparity, discrepancy, dissonance, or distance between what I know and what I do what I believe and how I behave and who I am in my position 
and who I am in my practice. And, and again, do you realize that making that decision is just like changing your attitude? I mean, it's not like you've got to work at it for the next six years, six months, six weeks, or six days. No, saying no to the disparities, the discrepancies, the dissonance and duplicity in your life. Listen, do you understand that that's a decision that you can make at this very moment? Now, I get it. Sure, The outworkings of that decision may take a little longer, but the decision that gets you there is very simply the act of your will in response to the Spirit of God and what he's been saying to you through his word tonight. And I ask you, could you say to the Lord tonight, Lord, I, I willingly and willfully say no to the distance that I've allowed between what I know and what I do, what I believe and how I behave, who I am in my position and who I am in my practice. And I joyfully say yes to anything and everything you say in your word. I ask you tonight, do you think that you might just need to humble yourself and go back and grab the virtue piece? As I was talking tonight, did the Spirit of God bring up anything that you know that you're not doing? That you believe, but it, it really doesn't dictate how you behave. Are you in your practice what you are in your position? Oh, okay, I'm not the Holy Spirit. Shocker. Okay, but, but let me just ask you. Have you been baptized since you've come to Christ? Do what you know. Sign up. Hey, next time y'all do that. In fact, hey, do that Sunday. Make them, make them do that. I want to be obedient, man. I've got to add virtue. Come on. Do you tithe? Wait, wait, wait. Do you tithe to your local church? You know what? If you don't, y'all, Wow. That's whack. If everybody did that, close up shop, babe. <laughs> you, have you identified yourself with this local body of believers? This is where you grow, man. This is where you worship. Are you plugged in? Are you, are you, have you identified yourself as a member? If so, are, where, where do you serve? If I ask you that tonight, okay, I'm not going to do that. Okay, I'll kiss you on the cheek. But if I were to ask you that, hey, where are you serving now? You got a place where you serve Christ through your church? Are you discipling somebody? Are you connected in a life group? Are you bitter 
towards somebody? Involved in fornication? Adultery? Some kind of emotional affair with somebody? You involved in pornography? Okay. It's, it's weird. In the 21st century, you about have to list everything. Where people go, oh, hey, I'm good. <laughs> okay. I, I, I told you tonight, I, I, think this is, I think this is the missing link. I think people get whacked out because they don't grab virtue and they start getting all this knowledge and they end up someplace they never thought they'd be. And I, I changed the message. I told you I was going to be all practical tonight. I, I hope this was, but this wasn't what I planned to preach but I did feel like this, this, is, this is what I, I need to say on this closing night if we're going to talk about going hard. Going hard is, is real simple. It's just an attitude. <laughs> and it's just a decision. Right. Could I ask you to just bow your head for just a second? And, you know, you, you, don't, you don't owe me this. But nobody looking around. Did the Spirit of God bring anything to your mind tonight about this disparity between what you know and what you do? If so, would you just say, yeah, man, he brought something to my attention. All right. You know... I, 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 I get it. I, I, I was here for a long time. This, this isn't the most demonstrative place in all the world. Um, but listen, man. Are, are we going to have a closing song tonight? Okay, why don't you guys come on up. And, and you know what? If, if there was something that the Spirit of God brought to your mind tonight, you know what? It, it, it may have been the simplest thing in all the world. It may be the heaviest thing in all the world. Who gives a rip? What I'd like to ask you to do, man, is nail it. Humble yourself before God in this church body and just say, God, I want to go grab the virtue piece. And if it means me starting over, I'll start over. But I want to ask you tonight, why don't you just come, spend whatever amount of time you need to spend at this altar and grab that virtue piece And the guarantee is if you'll keep adding to your faith, you'll know Christ. You'll never fall. And your entrance into the everlasting kingdom will be absolutely crazy. Let's all stand.